0: be able to study the Word of God, we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin reading down in verse 20, and we're just going to share a message tonight. Uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Acts chapter 16 in verse 20, I want to say a special thank you uh, to all those that you uh, wish me a happy birthday today drove by and all those different things I've heard all the jokes about getting old and all that good stuff but uh, that's okay time marches on I can't believe 68 years have gone by and uh, but it keeps chasing after us so hey, man can't stop time so I want to say thank you for cards and gift cards and uh, all that and now acknowledging your uh, love for me and care for me and uh, we certainly appreciate that and so I want to share a message tonight entitled believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not sure you're saved uh, this will be a great message for you to consider how you can be saved and what God can do in your heart and in your life if you are saved this is a great challenge a great encouragement uh, that no matter what the circumstances are in life you can trust God to work in a miraculous way to use your life to be a witness and a testimony to someone else, and you can see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we're in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to begin reading in verse 20. It says, And he brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. "...and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude a, rose up against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge... "...thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison was shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, and every man's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open... He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. And all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and bapt and what and well I'm sorry, washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God. With all of his house. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful to be together tonight, be able to study the Word of God, how precious it is to find great truths and promises and assurances uh, that God is real. Uh, God is certainly our Savior, and we can know that we're saved here regardless of what circumstances we're dealing with in life, whether it's personal or family or social or. Uh, uh, spiritual or whatever it may be, Lord, healthwise, we certainly can trust in the living God. And Lord, we're thankful that our salvation that we can experience is secure throughout all eternity. So I pray that you bless the preaching of the Word of God tonight in Jesus' name, Amen. Verse thirty-one is our text verse. It says, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." And thy house. I remember Doctor Malone preaching a m- message years ago uh, when I was in Bible called uh, a message called uh, entitled "Household Salvation." And uh, you know, the promise here made to this jailer was not only that he would be saved, but that God would save his household also. And I'm glad that God is interested in saving souls, whether it's an individual or if it uh, it's a whole family that needs to be saved. Uh, I remember I I was down in uh, Dividing Creek when I was pastoring down there. I was out soul winning one day and I knocked on the door of this family and uh, they let me come in and share the gospel with them. I remember them. There was five people in the family, a husband, a wife, and three children. And I went through the word of God and shared with them how to be saved. And they uh, indicated they wanted to trust Christ as their savior So I told the husband, I said, you know, you're supposed to be the head of your family. You need to set the example for your children and for your wife to follow. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, uh, pray a prayer of salvation. And I said, why don't you kneel here in the living room right in front of your family and ask the Lord to save you? And he did. He knelt right there in his living room and trusted Christ as a savior. Then I told his wife, I said, you know, your wife is supposed to follow the leadership of her husband. And so I told her, I said, man, why don't you just kneel here next to your husband and pray and ask the Lord to save you? And she came over just brokenhearted and weeping, and she cried out to God and was gloriously saved. I told the children, I said, you three children have two uh, parents here, a mo- uh, father and a mother who have just trusted Christ as your Savior. You know, children are supposed to honor their father and mother And I said, I just believe you ought to trust Christ as your Savior today, following the example that your mom and dad made for you. And they came over and they knelt there and prayed and asked the Lord to save them. And then we all prayed together as a family, a mom and a dad and their children, all praying and thanking the Lord for saving them. I just know this, that God is truly in the business of saving whole households. If you have a husband or you have a wife that is not saved, you have your children that are not saved, realize this, that God wants them saved. And if you're a Christian, you're the one that is the means of sanctifying your home. And so pray for your loved ones that they might be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, and thy house. You know, it's an amazing thing what God does when he saves a person. It completely changes his life. I remember back in 1979 is when I got saved. And then I was called to Bible college, went off to prepare for ministry. And as I was in Bible college, God gave me a, a life verse. It's 1 Corinthians 9:22. 22. Uh, Paul said, I, I came to the week. Oh, man, I knew I'd blow my life verse. I can't believe it. Uh Let me read it for you. That's embarrassing. I've said this verse so many times in the last 35 years. To the weak became I as weak. I always think about that. To the weak became I as weak. In other words, Paul was willing to become whatever he needed to be to win the loss. He said, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I was going to preach a message tonight on that verse. And so that's why I must conf- be confused. I got two sermons I wanted to preach tonight. So I'm probably just going to mix them in together. Amen. And that's all right. We'll be done sooner or later. Most likely later than sooner, but that's all right. And uh, and so just thinking about the fact that Paul was willing to do whatever was necessary to bring someone to Christ. And God laid that verse on my heart many, many years ago In this matter of being whatever you need to be to lead someone to Christ. Now, he's not talking about compromising, uh, but rather he is talking about identifying with the needs of people and the circumstances that they are in. And that's what Christ did when he came into this world. He identified with us as sinners. He took on the robe of fleshly man. He took all of our sins upon himself on the cross. And when he died, he delivered us through the shedding of his blood and the offering of his body that we might be able to be saved through his sacrifice. In uh, uh, the old hymn called There Is a Fountain. Bless my heart in Bible College, so through four years of Bible college, for four years, Emmanuel Baptist Church, where we went to church every Sunday, every service, for the invitation, we sang, There is a Fountain. And it goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood. You thought I was going to sing, didn't you? I've tricked you on that one. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. You know, we stand guilty before God. And Paul and Silas were declared by man to be guilty and was thrown in the prison. But the one who was guilty was the jailer. And the jailer was guilty of his sin. And Paul and Silas was there by a divine order and providence of God to reveal who Christ was so this man could be saved and delivered from his sins. And so Paul and Silas are literally on their second missionary journey. And as they're in Philippi, certainly we know that Lydia would be saved, the first one saved in Europe. And Paul and Silas would be confronted with a girl that was demon-possessed. He would cast a demon out of this girl, and as he would cast him out, there was a great disturbance because of the fact that the economy of those that were using this girl would be disrupted. And the Apostle Paul was able to perform a great miracle in delivering this young girl from demon possess- possession. The, the thought is this. Here is deliverance. Here is safety. Here is a new life that is presented, and what was the response of the crowds? The response of the crowds was that they were upset, and that's why in verse 23 says when they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And so the outcome of this great miracle was that Paul and Silas were beaten for it. They laid many stripes upon them. You know, it's interesting to me that when someone gets saved, and their life is drastically changed, those who are not saved get upset about it very quickly. And they get very aggressive about it because of the fact that person now no longer wants to be a part of the wicked perverse life that people live as sinners. And so Paul and Silas was beaten. They were incarcerated. They were thrown into prison. And the prison they were thrown into was nothing more than a major dungeon. They took them into the lower part of the prison, and it says they were chained, and so their feet were fast in stocks. You know, there's many people who are without Christ, might not be in a physical dungeon and chained with physical stocks, but you're chained by your sin. Uh, You're a prisoner of a life that is out of control. Uh, You are manipulated and directed and guided through the power of Satan, the God of this world. And so here's Paul and Silas deliver this girl that was in bondage by demon possession. And the outcome was they were thrown in the prison. It is easy in a circumstance like that to say, well, where is God in my life right now? It is easy in a position like that and experience to say, well, wait a minute, I'm doing God's will and God's bidding. And I'm preaching God's word. Why am I thrown into prison? It's because of the fact when you look at things in life that way, you're looking through the eyes of the flesh rather than living and walking by faith. Paul and Silas never questioned why they're in prison. Paul and Silas never uh, acknowledged the fact that uh, that God had abandoned in them. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, realize God has you there for a purpose to be a witness and testimony. There's someone God wants you to reach out to that they might be saved. Uh, yesterday, I had to go over into Pennsylvania, and I was over there and, and uh, pick up to pick up some uh, piece of equipment, and as I got ready to go, the Lord really laid on my heart to give the fellow that we got this piece of equipment from a track and so I went in my my uh, um, truck and I got a track and I said, "Here's something I'll tell you about heaven." And uh, he told me he said this. He said, "Well, you know, one thing that's happened before you go to heaven." And I said, "Well, what's that?" He said, "You have to die." And I said, "You're right. It's appointed to the man but wants to die after this to judgment." I said, "So do you want to face judgment or you want to face heaven?" Because uh, the reality is we're all going to die. And I said, "Get take that track and read that and." Uh, He didn't act like he was too enthused about it, but bless God, he got the word of God in his hand. God directs our lives in different ways in certain circumstances for the opportunity for us to lead someone to Christ, and Paul and Silas were there to be able to lead this jailer to Christ. And so whatever it is you're going through, realize that God is creating opportunities for you to be a witness. Uh, What great humiliation. The Apostle Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 4.10 says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Sometimes people say, well, I want to talk about the Lord. I I don't want to be locked up in jail. I don't want people to be upset with me. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Not a matter of just being foolish, but living your life for Christ is completely opposite of what it is to live your life without Christ. And someone who is not saved cannot understand what your life is in Christ. I remember when I got saved, I felt God called me to preach. I mean, people were, were uh, uh, so confused. They were like, what do you mean you're going to go preach? you are you going to make more money doing that? And I said, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, they had no idea what it meant to say that I'm going to go in, full, in full-time ministry and serve the Lord. They looked at us like we were fools. And I just know this, a life that is surrendered to Christ, even though you might be perceived as a fool, that's all right because God will get the glory because He's going to use you to lead someone to Christ as He directs your life. Philippians 2:8 it says about Jesus and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And it was a humiliating execution when someone was crucified. And it's not like the flowery pictures that we paint about the crucifixion. It was a horrible experience. It was a humiliating experience that someone would go through as they would take the last breath of their life hanging on that cross. And so he took the death of the cross upon himself. You know, so it is a position of great humiliation. Christians understand that our life is a reproach and yes it is a shame to the world and yes it is mockery from the world in 1 peter chapter 4 verse 12 and I'll just read this for you I got to stop spitting on my bible 1 corinthians I'm sorry 1 peter chapter 4 and verse 12 beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which you are which is to try you Peter's literally acknowledging, in fact, don't think it's weird or something out of line if you're going through a trial. And and even right now, we're dealing with this COVID-19. Don't think it's weird. Don't think it's something strange that people who have faith in Christ, yes, many of them will get sick also. Uh, We're not exempt from the sicknesses that are in this world. And we're certainly not exempt from the world being upset with us when we live according to the word of God in dealing with these things in the world in which we live. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which shall try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. And so the Christian understands, yes, to live the Christian life. To pray and ask God to work miracles in people's lives. To see the grace of God manifest where it absolutely changes somebody's life is not acceptable to the world, but it is God working through us his mercy so that some soul might be saved for all eternity. And so Christians understand that. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. First of all, I see three things here and we're going to look at as we look through this chapter, we see the confidence of the saints. I'm thankful as a believer, I could have great confidence. Paul and Silas, they're thrown in jail. It says in verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And see the confidence of the saints, even though they're in prison, even though they're uncomfortable, even though their wounds from being beaten have not been tended to, even though they don't have the freedom to move about in the prison cell because they're shackled to the wall, they still had a confidence in God because their first response when they find themselves in that situation was they prayed. So the confidence of saints is this. Prayer is not hindered. You know, they can stop you from doing a lot of things. Life can stop you. Sickness can stop you. Oppression and persecution can stop you, but it cannot stop you from praying. I like Pastor Petrozello's lesson on Daniel. Uh, when, this, when the law was signed that you couldn't pray, Daniel kept on praying. And the amazing thing is, the world we live in, these governors and everything else want to put all the restrictions they think they can put onto the church. It can't stop the Christian from praying. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. They're out of line. They're violating the Constitution. The governors have no control over the church. Prayer is not hindered. We're praying for God to show us how to minister to people more effectively as a body of believers here in Tom's River. So prayer is not hindered. Uh, Notice Oswald Chambers said this. We tend to use prayer as a last resort. But God wants it to be the first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. And so before we even deal with anything, we need to pray. Oftentimes we make decisions in our Christian life without going to God to pray in prayer about it. Oftentimes we face trials and difficulties, that seem to limit or try to hinder us in our ability to worship and serve God, and we don't even stop to pray. And uh, listen, prayer is not hindered by Satan. It is not hindered by this world. It is not hindered by unbelievers. There's nobody can stop your prayers from going up to the throne of God. And so when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, the first thing they did was they prayed, uh, confidence of the saints. I see not only that, but I see the worship is not hidden. The confidence of the saints is the worship. Says Paul and Silas prayed, that's the first thing they did, and they sang praises unto God. And uh, worship cannot be hidden for, as a believer. And they were not afraid of the guards, they were not afraid of their circumstances. But when they prayed and they got a hold of God, they started singing praises unto their God. Worship does not have to be hidden. A.W. Tozer said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. I'll say an amen to that. You read in Isaiah chapter 6 what's going on around the throne of God. I mean, there's worship and praise going on in reference to the who Jesus Christ is continually. The whole aspect of what the believer is is we talk to our God, we communicate with our God and we exalt him and worship and we praise him for who he is because we know this, in the trial he is with us. He is not abandoning us. When he gets us through the trial, he'll be glorified in us. And there's individuals who are witnessing how we live our life in the trial that when they see that you're going to get through, they're going to get saved. And you need to live your life worshiping and praising of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't wait till we can gather back together again and uh, be able to be safe as we worship together. I love being able to preach over the inter- internet. I'm glad people can pay attention. They can learn the word of God. But I'll tell you, there's something about the people of God who come in with a spirit on them. There is something when the crowd of the people of God come to worship God and they they, they get turned loose by the Spirit of God and they start getting excited about what God's doing. Wait a minute. Wherever you're at right now, you don't have to be bound in fear. You don't have to be bound with an unwillingness to worship and praise God. You can rejoice in the Lord right now. Maybe you need to get up and run around the living room for a minute. Amen. Get excited and worship the Lord. Prayer is not hindered. Worship is not hidden. And I say this, God is not handcuffed. In verse 26, it says, suddenly there was an earthquake. You know what? God's shaking this world right now. You know, man thinks he's all high and mighty. I remember in the last years, how several years, how everything's been talked about as far as a global economy. And we can't exist as a nation isolated from the world. And the world's countries and nations need each other. And we need a global economy in order to be able to excel. Hey, how's that working out for you? Not working out too good, is it? Why? Because God can shake this world. In just a matter of a few weeks, God has shut everything down. People, I know there's people who's upset when I say that. But I'm going to tell you, God is trying to get our attention. When Paul and Silas was in that prison, and God was going to release them, man had shackled them, but God shook the place and set them free. I believe tonight God wants to shake somebody's life he wants to stir your soul. He wants to set you free tonight. Oh, won't you listen to God and hear what he has to say. As he shook the prison, I mean, the shackles fell off of Paul and Silas. And I want you to know whatever you're shackled to tonight, God can set you free from it. I was listening to a report the other day it was saying that Right now in America, the suicide rate is starting to skyrocket because people are distressed and discouraged about what's going on, losing their jobs and all these different things. They said this, alcoholism is on the rise. It's amazing to me that government officials would declare the church as a non-essential business, but a liquor store is essential business. And all you're doing is creating a bunch of alcoholics. That's exactly what you're doing. People are, are being overrun with alcoholism. They said this in that report, that drug addiction, opium, dr- opium drugs and all these things are rising because people are stressed out and discouraged. Let me say this. You might be bound up by those things. But there's a God in heaven who can shake your life and he can break the shackles and set you free that you might have eternal life. You could live a life of victory right here on this earth. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I have confidence because I was an alcoholic. I did drugs years ago, I drank alcohol, I didn't stop, I smoked cigarettes, all those things. But when I got saved, God delivered me. The shackles were broken and I was set free. I have confidence tonight that if God wants to set you free, that God can set you free. And so here is old Paul and Silas, they're in the prison And they're confident they're going to God in prayer. And they're worshiping the Lord and celebrating what God is doing. And God breaks the bands in their life. You say, why would God do that? Because there's a sinner there that needs to be saved. So I see the confidence of the saints. Number two, I see the conviction of a sinner. Conviction of a sinner. Notice in verse 27 of our chapter... Uh, he's under conviction by his nature. In verse 27, it says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep. You know what conviction will do? It'll, it'll wake you up. You know what conviction will do? It'll make you aware of who you are and who God is. I remember when I got under conviction before I got saved, I got under conviction that the reality is that I did not know God. That I was not assured if I died I would go to heaven. And if I died without Christ, I was going to die and go to hell. And that conviction was birthed out of my sin nature because of the fact that I was asleep at the spiritual things, but God woke me up. Conviction not only by his nature, but by his conduct. Notice in verse 27, it says, The keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, that's his nature, And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword. That's his conduct. And, you know, people who are without Christ, those that are not sure they're going to heaven, uh, their conduct does not match what God's desire of conduct to be. And so he had, by nature, the way that he would respond if there was a prisoner suspected of being loosed. And so man responds according to the desire of this flesh. Notice in verse 27, he's under conviction by his lack of hope. It says in verse 27 that after he drew out the sword, he said, and would have killed himself. Why? Because he's in despair. Uh, He's discouraged. He has no hope because he has no hope then what is the sense of his life continuing on? And without God in your life, without God working in your life, what, what hope do you have? And so literally this man is under conviction as a sinner because he lacks hope. Notice he's convicted, and his conviction as a sinner by his reaction. In verse 28, and Paul cried out, cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are here. And then he called for a light and sprang and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. His reaction to the prisoners still being there. His reaction is based on the fact that he realizes that His life is not on the line because the jailer, if he, listen, if a prisoner got away, the jailer would be executed. He would have to take on the punishment of that prisoner that was there. And his reaction was he came trembling and he fell down before Paul and Silas. He knows who to turn to. May I say this, if you're not saved, you're not sure you're going to heaven when you die, then you need to know who you can turn to. You need to turn to somebody who knows what it means to be saved. You need to turn to someone who has the answers for life. You need to turn to someone who has experienced a a new life in Christ and has hope for eternity. His reaction shows his conviction. He's trembling and falls down before Paul and Silas. I remember years ago, I was in a preaching meeting, and I mean the preacher was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he was a preaching, and I mean the power of God was so present. The the conviction of God was so strong. I literally trembled sitting in my seat. I literally felt impressed that I ought to shout amen at the preaching, but I was afraid to shout out because the conviction was so strong. I thought God would strike me dead. And this man, the conviction is so strong, he has nowhere to turn but run to Paul and Silas and tremble at their feet. So I see his reaction. I see he's under conviction by his question that he asked. Because in verse 30, it says, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, when someone gets under the conviction of the Spirit of God, they're going to ask the right, right question. They're going to ask, what do I need do to be saved? Now, people like to argue. People like to debate. I don't waste a lot of time on people who want to debate. Because the reality is, if there's no conviction of God, you're not going to get saved. And if all you want to do is mock and ridicule God or make fun of the, the witness, the uh, the a saint of God who's trying to lead you to Christ, then, then you're not going to get saved. You need to be so under conviction that you right ask the right question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, I, I read a quote. Someone had said this. If I lead somebody to Christ on the street, which church should I send him to? Sending someone to church today is like... He going on to say this. Sending someone to church today is like taking a newborn babe and putting it in the refrigerator. So I want, I want a place that vibrates with God and vibrates with eternity. We're not talking about getting saved and, and, and living a life that is not of value. We're not talking about getting saved and just going on in your mundane way of living day by day. We're not talking about getting saved and neglecting worship and praise of God within the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about if you get saved, then you get in a church that's on fire for God and preaches the word of God with great conviction. Why? Because you're a newborn babe in Christ and you need to grow in faith through the the word of God being preached. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He says, I'm astonished, bewildered, confused, baffled when people tell me there are 75 million people in America that are filled with the Holy Ghost and we're the most rotten nation on the earth. What was he talking about? He was talking about how people live their life and conduct themselves. I've seen a lot of people claim they got got saved. I've I've, I've had a lot of people over the years say, oh, I prayed that sinner's prayer. I know I'm I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But their life is so gross and so immoral and full of debauchery. And I have to say, well, wait a minute. If you're saved... There's no way you've been born again by the spirit of God because the born again spirit of God will change your life because you'll live by the conviction of the presence of God in your life. Conviction of the sinner. We need some old-fashioned preaching and old-fashioned response like Paul and Silas where we're confident that God is more all powerful and God can move and he'll bring conviction on sinners. To change their life. I'm thankful God changed my life. There's the confidence of those saints. There's the conviction of the sinner. And the last thing is this. I see the compassion of the Savior. Because Paul and Silas say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved in thy house. What great compassion that Christ has on sinners. Notice it's a person and not a plan. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to present to you some religious experience. I'm not trying to present to you some religious organization. I'm not trying to present to you anything other than there is a person by the name of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you personally, and you can be gloriously saved tonight. And the reality is if you are saved tonight, there's somebody God is directing you to talk to that he died for them that they might be saved. And so it's a person, it's not a plan. It's a personal relationship. And God can save us and deliver us through faith in Christ. Not only is it a person and not a plan, but it's practical with potential. Because he says here, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. I remember the first thing that got all heavy on my wife and I's heart when we got saved was that we wanted our family saved. And I mean, we started witnessing to everybody. And not everybody was thrilled about it. But we started witnessing to everybody. We went off to Bible college with family members not saved. And we got in Bible college I got under conviction. We were worried about our family. We wanted to be a witness. We wanted to tell them how to be saved. We wanted to actually go home and try to witness. And Dr. Malone used to tell us this. If you want your family saved while you're away from home and you're in Bible college, lead somebody's brother or someone's sister or someone's parents to the Lord here, and God will send somebody to your family that they'll get saved. You know what my wife and I did? That's exactly what we did. We just started going out soul winning. We started working in the bus ministry. We started leading people to Christ. And we started seeing men and women and boys and girls getting saved and trusting Christ. And through that, the potential that took place was our family back home started getting saved. You don't say, well, I'm not going to go and serve God. I'm not going to surrender my life and serve God because of the fact that I have to stay home and I have to just witness to my family, no, if your family's not getting saved, then go get somebody else's family saved. There's the potential if a sinner gets saved, their whole family will be saved. Uh, Thou shalt be saved and thy house. So I see it's a personal, it's person, not plan. It's a practical with potential. But in verse 34, I see it's profound and pleasurable. In verse 34, it says, And when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Notice it's profound and pleasurable. Why? Because enemies are now friends. You know, that jailer was the enemy of the apostle Paul. That jailer, everything he believed, everything he lived by, everything he functioned as a a soldier of Rome, you understand that he was the enemy of the believer in Christ. But because Paul led him to Christ, and now the enemy has become a friend. And I just know this, that if you can lead people to the Lord, it will make a difference in the world in which we live. I can guarantee you protesting and all these different things and aggressiveness in this world is not going to change this world. What's going to change this world is Jesus Christ. And when people come to Christ, they know that they're going to heaven. They know that their life has been changed. Not only is there potential, not only is there a person that's working in their life, there is a pleasurable life that we can live because our enemies become our friends. I see not only are enemies now friends, but I see despair is now hope. This jailer, he was living in despair, but now he has hope. And then I see despondency. I'll tell you, that jailer was not rejoicing when he came in when the prison was shaken and Paul and Silas were released. He came in with great despondency. But it says here in verse 34 that he set meat before them and rejoiced. So enemies are made friends. Despair is turned to hope and despondency is turned into joy. And I'm thankful that it says that he was believing in God with all his house. I'll tell you, there's nothing like Mom and dad rejoicing and worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus Christ with their children. Sometimes you teenagers think you need to rebel against your parents. May I say this? Rebellion is not a natural thing for a Christian. I I don't like this counseling that says, well, you have to just deal with teenagers because it's a natural thing to rebellion. If you're a Christian, That is not natural. That is abnormal to rebel. And so as a Christian teenager, you rejoice with your mom and dad in worshiping and serving God. You say, well, how can that come about? I'll tell you how. The conviction of the Spirit of God on the unsaved to get them saved and they become a Christian and they start living according to the victory that God has given. There's a profound experience of pleasure and enjoyment together as believers in Christ. You know, I was in Bible college and we used to love it. You know, we, My wife and I didn't get saved until I was, I was 27 years old. She was 24 years old or no, 23 years old. And uh, we went off to Bible college. We really didn't know what it meant to live as a Christian. We met people up there, and we'd go around to each other's houses after church. None of us had any money. We'd scrape our pennies and quarters together, and we'd buy a pizza. We'd have fellowship together, and different ones could play piano, or different ones may be able to play a guitar, and we would gather together, and we would just sit there and play music and sing songs and just rejoice together. And that was with the, the adults and with the children also. It was a pleasurable experience. And if if you're not enjoying, not having a pleasurable experience as a Christian, uh, you need to get your joy or recharged. Amen? need to let the presence of God Be real in your life again, because God does move in a powerful way. How? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And that verse touched my heart, became my life verse, because I realized this, I couldn't save everybody. God's not willing that any should perish, but I realized very quickly I can't save everybody, but bless God, I can get some saved. Who did you talk to this week about the Lord? Who have you shared Christ with? People are in despair. People are despondent about life. People have no direction and no hope. You, as a believer in Christ, need to have confidence that God can do something in their heart and witness to them so that the conviction of God will come on their heart so that they might be saved, they might be born again, to be able to enter into this compassionate relationship with the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. How does it all take place? By believing on the Lord Jesus. Well, I mingled two sermons together, and I actually got through in plenty of time, so it's a wonderful thought, isn't it? So, I'd like for you to think about those verses, and I'd like for you to pray that God will give you an opportunity to share your faith with someone this week. And as you share your faith with someone this week, let's pray together uh, that God will convict them and they'll be gloriously saved. Now, before we pray, I want to remind you make sure to go on our website at ocbcministries.org. Turn on the tab at the top that says our church. And as you turn that tab on, you scroll down and you'll see our prayer sheet for the week. Make sure you read through that prayer sheet. Make sure you pray for each of the people on that prayer sheet. Uh, They need your prayer. There's a list of people in there that are not saved. And let's pray that they'll get saved. And uh, why? All they have to do, it's simple, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could be that instrument. You could be the conduit through which the Holy Spirit will move to bring convictions on them. Wouldn't it be wonderful for you to pray for somebody that's on that list that's in the hospital and then you get word that they got they were healed and they came out of the hospital? Man, I'll tell you what, there's nothing greater than going to God and then seeing God answer our prayers. And there is not a greater experience other than getting saved, than to be able to lead someone else to salvation. I have never forgot the first boy, little boy, I led to the Lord many, many years ago. Back in 1980, I led this young boy to the Lord. I can still see his face. I can still hear his voice and his conversation. I can still see him running over to his mommy and saying, Mommy, 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 that man saved me. I've never gotten over that and I'm going to tell you, you lead someone to Christ and you see the heart change, you see the conviction come on their face, you see the deliverance of God come in their life, Uh, you'll never get over that. You'll say, I'm going to go get another one. It's not hard. The circumstances of life didn't stop Paul and Silas. The difficulties and the bondage that they were in didn't stop them. They were shackled. They couldn't go anywhere. They just, we're just under quarantine. (laughs) We're just in voluntary lockdown, basically. You can get up and go wherever you want, do whatever you want, technically. But yet we say, well, I can't talk to anybody. I can't Yes, you can. Just help them to understand how they can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. My Father, I thank you so much. Uh, Lord, what a gracious God you are. Uh, how you move in our life in such a powerful way. The world fights against everything that Christ is. The world fights against everything that the church stands for. But God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And so, Lord, give us great victories. Give us great opportunities to be able to share our faith with others. May we be seeing a great Harvest of multitudes of people being saved because of this virus right now. And Lord, there's another tragedy. There's another difficulty waiting right around the corner to go, that we're going to have to go through. And so let's rejoice in the goodness of our God. We need to pray. We need to worship. And Lord, we need to witness. And so bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.